Today is Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. We have a double header for you today, so there's going to be a bonus episode right after this one, so make sure you listen to it. It is worth listening to. We'll get to that in a second. So, uh, this one, Godliness versus Legalism. The curse of Jesoniah, Jesoniah, Jeconiah, the curse of some dude. Um, We're talking with an Orthodox Jew and they brought up, well, they didn't bring it up, but they brought up the lineage of Jesus, and I'm always confused. Turns out, he never read the New Testament. That's why he doesn't know there's two. He's like, well, you know, it goes through the mother, and blah, 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 and, you know, why doesn't this, and how does it get to David? And it's like, you know, there's two lineages, right? And he's like, what? We're like, yeah, it gives both lineages. It's the New Testament. Have you never read it? He's like, no. We're like, well, read that. Anyway, so, you know, we bring up the Jeconiah uh, curse that talks about briefly how, you know, uh, a direct descendant, direct descendant of David will never be on the throne, but then Jesus, by being adopted through Joseph, uh, takes care of that, almost through incredible coincidence in a series of events, or as if there was a divinely inspired hand guiding the whole situation. Anyway, so uh, enjoy our discussion with the Orthodox Jew. I forget his name, Siggy, Siggy, something like that. Anyway, so he tells us he will check into some stuff and read the New Testament and get back with us, and hopefully we'll be able to have a fruitful conversation. As for the bonus episode right after this, it is absolute heresy. So this is a masterclass on what not to do, what not to believe. As Proverbs talks about, you know, when you chase your own wild ideas and you fall far from the truth and things like that, chasing these wild notions, what you will hear in the bonus episode is what you will end up with. So uh, repent and believe the gospel. It's really that easy. So enjoy this one and be sure to check out the immediately following episode about the heretic hour. And also check out the Ask a Christian store. The link is in the description where you can buy merchandise. Uh, to facilitate discussions about Christianity and why you have this faith and the hope you have, and uh, civil dialogue about Christianity. And also check out the Ask a Christian book available on Amazon. So enjoy. Goodbye. And such. What's up, everybody? Got a little feedback. You sound oh, like you're ra- like racing an 18-wheeler. Nope. It, oh. <laughs> it's just a truck, and I'm just driving. I don't know why it's always so loud. You know, it's the weirdest thing, like how it does noise canceling on these on these phones or mics or whatever. Like I have a friend that is he does a, has a machine shop, so he's like grinding like heavy steel tools and machine shopping and all this stuff. And like, it's the craziest thing. Like sometimes we'll be like you know talking, and uh, he's like, "Man, it may be a bad day to talk. Like I'm making a lot of noise." And like in the background, like uh, before it uh, you know before it adjusts for the EQ or whatever, it'll be like for like two seconds and then it stops because it like cuts out those frequencies um and i'm like no and then it's just like a dull very dull faint hum i'm like no that's actually fine he's like are you serious he's like it's shaking the walls of my building like how do you not hear that i'm like i heard the beginning but i mean it picked it out and then other times i'm like oh my gosh what are you doing and he's just like dude i'm just ripping up some tinfoil i'm like that sounds like the loudest thing on earth like i can't even talk to you right now so it's it's weird what frequencies it decides to let out or let in and keep out. Yeah, that's the worst thing for these uh, headphones, man. I have my headphones in, and when you have different people talking, you have one guy that you got your headphone turned up for his voice, and then the next guy is like, just he comes in and just like blows your <laughs> eardrums. It's like, man, if they're just an the equalizer, where we can just make everybody's voice the same volume, I could set my headphones and just you know just leave it there. You know what I mean? 
So how you been, Marquise? Is I haven't seen you in a little while. Oh, uh, well, I mean, we hear it. <laughs> you hear it. But is it is it as loud as it was before? That's probably a little better. Yeah, it's better. Okay, so what did you do? I had my um I had my phone plugged into my car. So I don't know how they I don't know how the um I'm Oh like on Bluetooth. Yeah. So I feel like if the noise is connected to my car versus now I'm just holding my phone in my hand and yeah. Oh, well be safe. The official official position of Ask a Christian while driving is don't don't die. Absolutely. Dude, the more I think about that safe conversation yesterday, the more it's bothering me. Yeah, in the realizing you were too heavy-handed way, or the realizing you were talking to a literal demon way? No, I mean, it's the poor kid. He's just tortured. Like, he's torturing himself with sinless perfection. And You know, I, I mean, I really, I have a hard time pegging it. Like, I don't know. It, it's hard to, like, rule out my own my own way of thinking. And, like, try to put myself in his way of thinking, which I, I clearly can't do. Because I'm thinking, you know, a lot of what he says, I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds fine. That's, I mean, that sounds like what I do. That sounds what I do. That sounds what I think about. But then, you know, it, it sounds like he, yeah, I mean, he, I, I don't know. Then you disagree, and then he sounds extra tortured. I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm having a hard time, like, uh, I, I don't know, imp, imp, like, empathizing with him or something it's like well i think what you're saying like yes you should take practical steps to you know not fall into certain sins that's just reasonable um but then you're like no you're missing the point and i'm like well wait what did he say this wrong so like i i'm i'm i don't know how i'm like this perpetual like weird middle position um because i know you don't have a problem with me being like well yeah take these practical steps i mean it's not like you're gonna like try to like you know yell a string of curses and obscenities at people and just hope that magically god takes it out of your mind so you you're like oh well i was totally gonna do that because i'm a godless heathen but god changed my heart so those words won't come out and i guess well thanks god i don't know it's like this weird middle position like i just i mean every conversation i have with him I'm like you need to lean on god's grace and he goes back to, well, I've got to do these things. i got to do this stuff. And he also has a sense of pride that he has, you know, defeated all of this XYZ sin in his life, which he talks about constantly. Ah. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's exactly, it is exactly the posture of the Pharisees. It is, that's what bothers me. Like, okay. I mean, yeah. The New Testament. His yeah, that may be it. Like, is down in the Pharisees. like you, you seem to have like somehow when I'm not here, like you seem to talk to a lot of these people like way more than I do. So maybe maybe that's a lot of it. Like I just don't have the uh, the time invested into these conversations that you do. So maybe I'm missing a lot of backstory. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely hold on. Make sure does the sound good? Can you guys hear me good? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Um. Yeah, so so I totally get that, uh, Chris. Um, there's a difference between someone who's wrestling with, you know, some aspect of stronghold and not in the hypersensationalized sense, but something they really that's really embedded in their 
habitual nature, right? It, that's embedded in their life. They've, they've done this thing for 20 or 30 years. So even though they've given their life to Christ, there's an element of whether it's culture or environment or behavioral sort of uh, uh, defaults that are necessarily worked through. And that is a process, but the process is not, what's the word? The process is externally agencyed. I hate that I had to, to make agency a, a verb <laughs> there, but you get what I mean. It's externally agencyed. Um, and I love sure. that. <laughs> but, but what I mean by that is, that's hilarious. What I mean by that is when you look at like passages like Philippians chapter two, and we focus on often, you know, um, I think like verses five through eight, especially when talking to Unitarians or modalists. Um, but when we look at that and we go a few more verses down, it says, work out your own soul salvation. I'm paraphrasing with fear and trembling. But then it turns around the next verse and says, for it is the spirit of God in you who works both to will and to do. So if your task in your mind is behavioral modification, you are eventually going to revert to your default. And that's where you find a lot of people in the conversations concerning sanctification or living a Christ-centered, spirit-filled life uh, and reflecting that character of Christ. They focus on behavioral modification. I need to try to curse less and less as opposed to you know, read the word, submerge yourself in the word, surround yourself with a community of believers. And what the word tells us is that God in you, the Holy Spirit in you, gives you the desire to want to be better for Christ uh, and better in Christ and gives you the ability to carry out that desire. Um, and so if you try to put in any extra formula like, you know, might or uh, uh, of, of course we do these things pragmatically. You know, you have to actually read what the Bible says about these actions and you should surround yourself, uh, and submerge yourself in a community of believers that will hold you accountable. Those are things we can do, but ultimately the agency is God. Um, and when you get people who are, uh, very, very adamant about saying all the things they've done and the focus is on them. What they're really dealing with is, as Chris said, it's arrogance, it's pride, and it's self-righteousness. It's look at how I'm right, not look at how Christ's righteousness came over me and changed me. Um, and when you have that kind of disposition, it is it is impossible to get someone to see the error and the, um, I don't know if this is a word, but I'm going to make it one, the illogicity, <laughs> the irrationality, mm -hmm. I'll say that. The, the irrationality of their form of thinking because in their heart, they are unsubmitted to Christ. That's what it ends up being. Ding, 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 ding. Marquis, you're my spirit animal today. I wish you were here <laughs> yesterday. What, what Marquis said. Sounds right. Hey, um, good morning, everybody. Hey, Brandon. What's up? Brandon. Welcome. Hey. What's yeah, up, I was just thinking. Hey, hey, just driving on my way to work. Gonna go fight with some numbers. Uh, but yeah, they. Um, I was thinking on, on that issue with sanctification. And, and I know this is, uh, and I know usually this is a subject I really get involved in. Probably 
I'm probably more energetic about the issue of uh, sanctification and holiness than I am probably most other issues. Um, I guess one of the things that, because I guess the concept of sanctification, at least I was presented in the New Testament, is very synergistic as far as like 2 Corinthians 7, having therefore these promises, deal of your love, let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What, one thing I do have an uh, issue with a lot of times, and I don't think a person should take a legalistic stance, like it's because of my righteousness that I don't do this and don't do that, because theoretically, you can be an atheist and have pretty good morals and pretty, um, so I guess the level of uh, the impact of depravity, it impacts people differently sometimes. But I guess the issue I would have sometimes is that when people say, well, you know, it's not something you can do. It, well, I wonder when it comes to sanctification, do you think sometimes that approach, not saying that's your attempt, Marquise, or anybody else, that the idea of that, you know, I'm just. Uh, you're chopping up a little, Brandon. Yeah, we, we don't hear you. You're in a dead spot. You're going to need to sacrifice a goat or something to try to get better signal there. Well, did anyone know what he was about to say? I think he was more or less coming from the, the, the aspect of, well, he said synergistic, which brings my mind to the aspect of um, our involvement in this uh, process beyond just, you know, it's not something, it's something God does and he's the agency behind it. But I think what uh, Brandon was trying to get at or about to get at is that, um, you know, we are very, it's, it's a lot more than just a one-sided, uh, like monergistic, I guess he's coming, you know, over and against the monergistic perspective of, yeah, there he is. Go ahead. Go ahead, Brandon. I was about to try to uh, uh, sum up what I thought, where I thought you were going, but go ahead. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I was going to just say, oh yeah. Well, I was just going to say before I hit another spot. I guess the attitude, and this is my issue with most denominations that I have a really big issue with. The, uh, well, let's see, what about now? Better. Okay. Yeah. That when it comes to sanctification, sanctification is always an afterthought and it's almost like a bonus prize. Uh, You know, if you do it, great. If you don't, hey, you're still good. It just, to me, I feel like sanctification is not treated with the seriousness that it should be. And it's kind of almost a laxity. And just based on, like, for instance, like Mardi Gras, we just had that down here. We were, um, we usually tease the only people who go to Mardi Gras are heathens and Baptists. Uh, you know, <laughs> because usually it's only the, the churches, like, down at least down here in the South, who, like, are not really strict or are really concerned about pleasing God in your life. They, they usually accuse us of being legalistic that, you know, they go and do this stuff, but but I guess sometimes in our insistency to sh- to really show that salvation is of God, do you think a lot of times we just kind of treat sanctification as a non-essential? Uh, I don't know if you're done or got cut off. But oh, I'd say, well, I mean, I, I, when you said Baptist, I thought of Mark. That's the first person I thought of. Like, there's no way, you know, you catch Mark at Mardi Gras. And I know also there's no way, like, you know, Chris would accuse Mark of being, like, legalistic or doing something under his own power. But, you know, like, Mark, you know, the guy won't, won't hardly go to a public beach because, you know, he, he 
I mean, he probably wouldn't say it's it's Jesus preventing him from getting in his car going there. He'd, he'd probably, I don't want to speak for him, but if he shows up, we can ask him. But, you know, he he takes this extra thing to, to modesty, or you may call it, you know, like living a holy life in your world, Brandon. But, you know, he would be like, well, no, I think we should be modest, just like, you know, the Bible talks about. Um, we should take these practical steps to, you know, have a little bit of modesty to us. And he would say, God's not forcing him to do that. And he would say, you know, maybe God changed his heart to where he, he this is just his conviction. This is how he lives. But still, I mean, he takes actual practical steps to not go to the beach where there's all kinds of craziness, like you talked about at Mardi Gras. So, well, not all bad. I'm not saying hey, I'm not, I'm not saying all bad. So. Oh, what, Chris? Can you remove Mr. Mark? He's a spammer in the chat. Um, uh, uh, um, but yeah, yeah we got and I'm just speaking up. We got a chat GPT. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not speaking of all, you know, everywhere. I'm just saying, on average, growing up down down here, you know, that that's usually been the uh, the dichotomy we've seen always. You know, it's like kind of like more of the, a lot of the, the mainline denominations or the people with like a lot of the loose living. Uh, oh, yeah. and, and my and my point wasn't uh, wasn't the Baptist thing. It was the you know taking practical steps to you know not fall into sin, uh, like taking actual practical steps instead of being like. Well, I'm just going to go about my life, and if God wants to, you know, keep me from sinning, then God's going to keep me. I don't have to try. Well, I mean, I, I'm saying, like, you know, it, it seems like from Mark's perspective, which I know Chris would agree with, it, it seems like Mark is actually doing things in his own power. Um, he's like, well, well, no. Or it's like, you know, I put, like, a, a whole home filter on my house to keep, you know, my myself and my family, you know, from, like, wandering into websites and dark corners of the Internet that's not going to benefit anyone. So, I mean, did God, like, legitimately change my heart? Um, I like to think so, but on the other hand, had I not taken that practical step, I mean, you know, I could stumble across something and be like, huh, well, like, you know, we're not supposed to say God tempts you, so it's our own fleshly desires that tempt us. So had if this browser lock was not on my whole home system, perhaps, you know, I could stumble on something I shouldn't, and then I'd be like, well, given to temptation, lead to something else I shouldn't, and then, you know, get into some, like, you know, on-site, uh, online seediness. So... What would you say about that, Chris? Like, you know, my, my, I don't know. That That's like where I am. I'm trying to like, yeah, you know, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm following people. your, your, your so, yeah. thought, Nate. Yeah, right. And, and, and here's the thing is that, look, when we say God gives us, this is the same discussion we keep having. God gives us the desires of our heart. That doesn't mean he gives us a Ferrari because we want a Ferrari. It means that he gives us the actual desires that we should be having. Here's the man right now. Um, that the actual desires that we should be having, those are what God gives us. That is the sanctification process. And I would okay. also posit that God is so holy and so apart from us, we don't even know when we're sinning half the time. We have sins oh. of omission. There's okay, sins so of are commission you... and sins of omission. Well, let me just stop you real quick before you pass this. Okay, so we're going to keep hammering it down. <laughs> so are you saying if uh, if the desires of your heart, like if um, if you're in a, I don't know, if, if you're in a room full of just every, every bad thing you can be in, like, I don't know, whatever that is, gambling, riches, worldly materials, hookers, drugs, like rock and roll, like, I don't know, just whatever, all the worldly devices. And you're in a room. You're saying for the desires of your heart, um, the, the person who, you know, God has changed and is giving them the desires of their heart. So for a Christian, 
That's presumably all God stuff, no worldly bad stuff. If that person is there, they're legitimately going to be able to just walk through that room and be like, no to everything. or Because no one's above temptation. So are you saying, well, they, they may no be tempted to be like, well, hang on, hang on. I want to get this. Right. Hang on. I want to get uh, uh, that's not the point I make. So like the point is, if they walk by a giant pile of like, you know, ungodly money or something like that and, uh, you know, whatever their thing is, whatever they would normally fleshly be into, they would be like, um, I legitimately have no desire to partake in this or be like, oh, my gosh, if, you know. I, I would really like that. Like, that's always been my vice. That's always been the thing I was into. But I'm going to practice some self-control and pass it by. So do you get what I'm saying? I, I want to, like, hone this in. So it's not like they legitimately, like, no, I'm passing by a giant bag of ill-gotten gains. I know that's ungodly. I know that's sinful because it was money from dishonest profit or something like that, the Bible calls it. That's always been my thing before Christ. So, oh, I would really like to dive into that pile of money and use it for all kinds of stuff. But I'm going to refrain because... I know that's bad and will lead to sin, and I don't want to sin because I don't want to displease God. Or, no, hey, in another life, that was my thing. I was into ill-gotten gains, but I legitimately have no desire. You can put that in my bank account, and I'll give it all away because I don't want it. Does that make sense? Can I answer? It depends on where – one second, Marky. All I'm going to say is – it'll take 10 seconds. All I would say is it depends on where that person is in their sanctification process. You. I – me? No, I would be. I would be absolutely tempted because I suck. I'm a terrible human oh, being. Oh, okay. I'm the well, worst then, okay. person you'll ever meet. So, well then, well then, what about saint? Because so, so like, if if you're not saying it's like, if, if it's absolute good or bad, if you're saying it's like depending on where they are in their sanctification process, well then, I, I mean, except the heart stuff and the thing you know you talked about earlier, then maybe that would be that would be fine for saint to be like, no, no, I have to flip myself with a rubber band. And I have to do these like worldly, you know, un, uh, just regular natural measures to prevent myself because, you know, I'm alas, I'm a sinful man and I'm not as far along in my sanctification process. So based on what you said, if it's relative to a sanctification process, then that could be fine for someone where others are like, no, I legitimately have no desire to look at that, to be that, to take that. But Nate, this is the point. This, this is what I wanted to say real quick, real quick. This is what I wanted to say real quick. Um, Nate, to Chris's point, when he says that, I don't think he's necessarily saying like, oh, if you're like five steps into your sanctification process, then yeah, you might have to, you know, close your eyes and stop your ears. But if you're 17 steps into your sanctification process a little bit further, then, yeah, you can walk through and maybe you only have to close your eyes, but your ears can stay unplugged. I think it's a matter of both and. I don't think it's an either or situation where either you're totally dead and numb to that uh, while of the enemy, that temptation, or you are susceptible to it and, you know, you have to do something to... Uh, uh, prevent yourself or keep yourself or whatever. I think it's both and, and I think in the sit, I think in both situations, on either you being absolutely numb, you having to be intentional about, you know, very intentional and actively uh, making sure that you're not straying away. That in either of those situations, it is by the power of God, and it would not be by some psychological or behavioral modifying means like the rubber band tapping the skin or pain or, you know, the, the stuff that people drink every time they think about something to make themselves nauseous to associate nausea with that particular <laughs> thought. 
It won't be any of those eight things as the agent. It will be either the Holy Ghost having transformed your heart to make you numb to this thing where it no longer entices you, where your very desire and um, affinity toward that thing has changed or ceased or been transformed, or it will be that it is the Holy Ghost that restrains you. That, you know, that is really tempting. You know, I really would like to go uh, uh, as I'm walking by people dancing and gyrating in the club because I used to dance when I was, uh, uh, you know, uh, living a sinful life and that that music makes me want to groove and I'm still a musician and I'm on the praise and worship team. And so uh, that there's still a part of me that's very musically inclined, but I'm going to make sure that I'm not getting engulfed into this gyration and this, you know, very provocative movement as I walk past this group in this room with all the vices. I'm going to be intentional about avoiding that and that avoidance, that desire to avoid it, even though I'm tempted by it, is from God and not from my ability to walk fast or look the other way. Um, so really, it's kind of like so many. Uh, so like you're saying, it's kind of like so many other things, how it, it's kind of like there, there's no way to prove, uh, it, it, or, you know, there's no way to like definitively prove to someone. It's basically just what you're attributing it to. Is that what you're saying? Kind of like, Chris, the desires of your heart. Well, the fact that you're doing this means it's a desire for your heart. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it. That's why it's a desire of your heart. Kind of like that. So like the practical or, or like the visual thing is people can see someone is abstaining from something that, that would everyone would agree is sinful. But if they're like, why, you know, why are you doing this? And they're like, because I want to please God and, you know, whatever acceptable answer you consider versus I'm doing this because I have to do this because I, 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 I like it. So you could be doing the same thing. It's just like the motivation behind it, like so many other things. And I think that is what makes it, that is the differentiator in terms of effectiveness and longevity. When you uh, see long last, oh, sorry. I'm, I was going to say, when you see, I feel in my, and this is, this is going to be subjective, but I'm going to submit it as, I won't say evidence, but as anecdote in my, uh, ministerial uh, 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 experience, the most lasting and effective and efficient change that I've seen in transformation happens when people have postured themselves and understand that it's God that's going to give them to the desire to change and God that's going to give them the ability to change. So it goes back to that Philippians 2 verse, right? It's the spirit of God in you that works both to will, that is, you don't want to sin, so you avoid it, and to do where you are naturally not sinning because you're living by the spirit and not the flesh. So this wasn't even a factor for you. In either case, either to desire not to sin or to not sin. And I think that goes back to a lot of times, like when we talk about like legalism and Brandon, sorry, I, I, you're, de you're definitely speaking after this. But when we talk about, you know, legalism a lot and like people that say you have to follow rules and follow laws, um, just a side note. A lot of times when we when they're like act like the Christians who say, no, it's freedom in Christ. You can do whatever you want. They're like, oh, you can go do all this. and You can do, you know, Marquis gyrations or, you know, whatever saints into or, you know, the ill-gotten gains. Example. That was a nice way they're of saying, saying it. What that, I was really that, thinking is bumping no, and grinding. I, I get it. <laughs> you know, that that has never been a problem in me. Probably probably not. A, anyways, no one's ever going to accuse me of dancing. Um, <laughs> anyways, it's not my thing. But, OK, but anyways. <laughs> You're never going to find it. So um, whenever we talk about like you're, you're free in Christ to do whatever you want. And they're like, oh, so, and they just assume we do all these bad things. I'm like, well, well, no, like by saying we're free in Christ, you know, Paul says, don't use your freedom to like get back in bondage again. 
So it's like just by focusing on God and worshiping your creator, um, it turns out like those people actually follow the, the rules or the laws that even they say they don't need to follow. They do a better job of keeping that stuff than the people that say you got to follow them. I'm like, and we don't even believe you got to follow them. It's just like, look what happens by focusing all of your energy on the God you follow and not all this extra like, you know, stuff. Um, anyways, side note. Yeah, Brandon, please go ahead and speak. Yeah, and, and I, I was going to say it's uh, – I, I was actually teaching on that Bible study last week. Uh, one portion of the lesson I taught was on the uh, – I'm not going to say there are different um, measures of grace, but it seems that the grace of God in sanctification manifests for some people in some areas differently than it does others. Like uh, I'll give an example of a woman who I know who was on uh, drugs for years. She came in service and uh, she uh, repented. Uh, she, she received the Holy Ghost. God took the taste out of her mouth, and this is her, her, her testimony for wanting to do drugs, like wanting to uh, do cocaine. Like, I was, you know, to me, now those are the miracles I like. Uh, I, she, she, to the day she died, she said she never had a desire again. And there's other people I've known, like, they come in and they, come in and they earnestly forsake the wrong way in faith. But, like, there's one guy, like, he can't even take less, like alcohol and communion. He's like, I can't stay, I can't even be around it. And it's uh and I've always kind of pondered over that that I said, Well, the grace of God in his life seems to work enough to give him the grace to stay away from it. And this other person I guess apparently the grace that they need, God has given it to them that they won't even be that they don't not even tip it if it's around them. I, I ponder on that sometimes. I'm curious as why God does that for some people, and for some people He doesn't. But at the end of the day, the grace of God that uh, brings salvation has appeared unto all men, and it teaches us denying ungodliness, we live righteously, soberly, godly in this present world. But I guess that's just my pet peeve because sometimes, especially when I have doctrinal conversations with people, and they kind of go like, you know, these things, and then you, you see such a lack of concern in their life on how to please to want to please God with their life, it's, it, it really sours, I guess, a lot of it. I was going to say, yeah, I think that goes back to submission. It goes back to submission um, with, you know, when you're, when you've submitted to Christ in your heart, which is, you know, what me and Chris have been championing uh, in the conversation. When you submit to Christ I mean, in your me heart. too, for the record. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Nate was like, rebellion is the way to go. Now I'm just playing. Um, yeah. So, but, but what we've been, what we've come back to is, and that's, I think that's great that that's the, the foundational context of, um, even that Philippians two verse, which is why you got to read the entire chapter because it says, you know, it's the spirit of God in you, which works both to will and to do. But a few verses before that, it says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Then it talks about all the ways Christ submitted and humbled and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, you know, all of those different things. So the, the, the trigger word here or the golden word is submission to Christ. And when you have a truly submitted heart to Christ, then God is changes your desire so that the things that would not please him, you no longer desire to do. And those things that perhaps you do desire to do that do not please God you don't want to do them even though you desire to do them, right? It's, it goes back to like Romans chapter seven, which seems like a contradiction, right? Like it's the, the, the I want to do good, but evil is always present. 
The problem, though, in the Romans 7 passage, not the problem in the passage, but the problem in Paul's state as he's describing it is pre-Christ, he had no way to execute the things he wanted to do and no way to refrain from the things he did not want to do. But after the resurrection, after Pentecost, now we have the ability not just to change our desires, but to refrain from doing the things that we don't want to do and to execute the things that we do want to do, all of which is pleasing to God and that desire to want to please our heavenly father through our Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit comes from God and it can never be executed or actualized by human means. Uh, Siggy, is that how you say your name? Yes. What's up? What's happening, brothers? Thank you. Anything on your mind today? Um, yeah. I mean, I was wanting to find out different things that are bothering me about Christianity. Sure. What uh, position are you coming from? If that uh, I'm an is orthodox. too invasive. No, no, no. I'm an Orthodox Jew. Okay. So, how has Jesus hurt you today? So, Show us on the doll. Oh, go what, ahead, type of, what type of Christians are you? Uh, you know, I can't speak for everyone. Um, I'm Protestant, not an emanational Pentecostal background. I like to think, uh, you know, the Bible-believing kind. I'm one of the evil but, reformed people. Uh, yeah, you've got some different flavors here today. Everybody's religious? Uh, I believe. Sure. All right, so I was a little confused about the lineage from David when it comes to Jesus, because in Jesus's times and in all times in Jewish history, the law was that um, being a Jew has to do if your mother's Jewish, but lineage to uh, royalty comes from the father. Well, first of all, you got it wrong right there. Why? Because Rambam is the one who introduced a uh, lineage of Jewish being from your mother. Are you aware of this? I'm aware that it's uh, around roughly 1,200 years before Maimonides was thought to be born that that was said. What? It's a, no. No, no, no. It's Go back to research, right. sir. It's a, yeah, but Go this is... <clears throat> I study Maimonides twice a day, and I know that this predates Maimonides by like over a thousand years. Can you show me where in the Mishnah says that? Um, I would have to look it up. I can't. I Please can't do. do it right now. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. So not, I mean, like, if you're if you're if you're if you're if you have a degree like in political science, I'm like not like gonna start up with you in something that I'm not as familiar. Like this is something that I do, so it's not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not just trying to argue it. I just know it for a fact. Like I'm not. Cool. Whatever. Well, anyway, just, we will. We will just stipulate whatever you're saying. But uh, yes. So there's. We can send you an article. Basically, uh, Jesus is a descendant of King David. Yeah, that's good. Your mother. Both his mother's from the mother's side. There's two lineages that are given, both from the mother's side and. From his father Joseph, who was his adoptive father, right. So it doesn't say anywhere that adoptive um, gives you the lineage. Um, but my my, my problem is, it does no, say prob- that he was the adopted father. 
No, I understand that. I'm just saying if someone's adopted into a priest family, a Kohen family, or the mother was a Kohen from Aaron, right? Moses' brother. If your mother's a Kohen, you're not a Kohen. Like, that has nothing to do with the Rambam, with Maimonides. Um, the lineage of, of priestly that you're going to serve in the temple has to do right. with the father, right? So it has nothing to do with yeah. Maimonides. So I'm just showing you that's that not what I was. That was not my contention earlier. But anyway, so so I'm just yeah. saying that if Jesus, if Jesus' father was God, not Joseph, or wasn't his real father. So how how does it work the lineage to David? I'm just I'm not, I'm not trying to be provocative in any way. I'm trying to just understand how the lineage to David works. If Joseph was not the father, God is the father. When also you've got to get around the curse, right? You're what curse? curse? He's referring to the, the curse of Jaconia. Uh, none of his descendants will inherit the throne of David. Uh, Joseph is a descendant of Jaconia. Mary is not. I'm just saying for argument's and sake, the fact you have to go with the father then would that be a problem that Joseph was no. not his real father? Correct, it's not. And, and the reason for that is that the curse of Jehoiakim says that a direct descendant of Jehoiakim will never sit on the throne of David. Now, when you've got Joseph being the adopted father of Christ, not only does it fulfill Davidic covenant, it also fulfills the, the idea of the church, curse of Jehoiakim. So you got two things there. I understand, but if the lineage again has to go through the father, well, you're making you're making a you're making a rabbinic argument that is anachronistic to not uh, first century Jews. That's the problem. Well, no, when when I when you say rabbinic argument, I believe the Talmud is really the oral right you would have to i don't what what we would say is we don't give a rip what the oral torah says that we have to use only the writings so we're only going to use you're saying there's no need of interpretation for the bible everything is correct correct oh yeah that's exactly what we think well hey can i can i just like lay out some stuff real quick because we're like we're like kind of going different directions with these points so uh siggy your your question was about the lineage of jesus and the answer, because everyone was cross-talking, so whether or not you believe it, the way Christians believe it, and the way it's been, you know, for thousands of years, so, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to do your Judaism, I, I will defer, and, you know, if I if I find something that I have a contention or question with, I'll bring it up, but I'll typically defer to you how to do your own religion. Uh, likewise, you know, we, we actually have a handle on what we believe and why we believe it, so uh, as far as Jesus, yes, there's two lineage, Mary's and Joseph. As far as the first of Jehoiakim, just like they were said, so just to re- recap, um, a direct descendant of, of, you know, is not going to sit on the throne. However, that takes care of it with the adoption of Jesus or by Joseph. So this is all tied up in a very nice, convenient, almost as if a creator deity had a hand in it uh, way. So, I mean, that that is the answer to your question. Um, so if, as long as we're on the same page, uh, let's continue. I just wanted to recap that so far. There's, there's, an, there's another thing that I was that, um, that, that I, I was in a Christian room the other night. And basically, uh, a, a big part of Christianity, or for the most, is based on the scripture of the old, you know, the book of prophets, Isaiah 53, 52, there's in Jeremiah, there's a lot. It's based on, 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 
on Jewish um, uh, scripture, correct? Sure. Right. So when a Christian tells me, like, become a Christian, why? Because I have a verse in the Tanakh that says so-and-so and such-and-such, and it just fits very well with being Jesus. Now, he calls that proof. I would say it's more of a like a theory. Why? Because if I have a different interpretation, even if my interpretation is weaker and less probable than yours, I still have another way out. That means if you tell me a certain verse and I look in Rashi even or Maimonides or even earlier on in the Talmud and the Mishnah, or the Anshe Knesset Agdala, and I have a different interpretation, and it's not talking about Jesus, it's talking about a different potential Messiah, or whatever his name is. We believe Messiah's name is Menachem, right? So the minute I have a different interpretation in those verses, then the proof goes away. It just becomes who is more probable in their theory. Well, so, what's up, so your what's problem... Up that? Well, real quick to, to that, I would just say, I, I do want to hear you, Chris, but I, I mean, I would say, yeah, make a choice. Like, you know, people can interpret or do whatever they want with pretty much any text. I mean, if a text says do not kill, people can twist that in a way that has them killing people. So, I mean, you, it doesn't mean it's a problem with the text. It means it's a problem with the people. So yeah, I'd say, you know, when it goes, well, well, when it goes from proof to evidence, I'd say we have the same stuff that, you know, when you say there's a Christian room, it's not just like a bunch of, you know, white devil Anglicans trying to, you know, Gentilely convert you. I mean, th this is the same evidence, if you don't want to call it proof, it was the same evidence that the very first Jews, uh, you know, who were Christ followers recognize as evidence of the Messiah. So, you know, I just, I, I'm sure you probably know that, but just for maybe whoever has a question or is listening, like the very same evidence they're citing in the scripture is what compelled a lot of the very first Christians who were Jewish um, to follow Christ as the Messiah. Um, so, you know, I guess that was evidence for them. If it's not evidence for you, well, then, you know, just like Joshua says, choose this day who you'll serve. Uh, but Chris, uh, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Chris? Uh, Chris? Sorry, I was trying to get back to the app. So, so what I would say is that the problem here is, you know, how do you read literature, any literature? How do you read any text? And so interpretation in the from the prophets and from uh, rabbis in the first century and all that stuff gave primary meaning to the literal meaning of the text as written by the author. And so what our job is when we're interpreting any text, whether it be a sacred text or an Ikea manual, is that we are to try to get to what the author's intent for the passage is. And so the error that a lot of people make with sacred texts is they try to read meaning and imbue meaning into sacred texts that the author never meant to be put there. Well, the author is God. Um, Ultimately, yes, but the but God used individual people writing in their own language and culture and writing styles um, to write, you know, the the different books over fifteen hundred years on three continents in three languages. You know, now if we're talking about the Tanakh, it's over the course of 1,100 years on two continents in two languages. But, you know, but the, the same principle stands is that God used individual people with individual cultures, individual histories, individual writing experiences, and individual audiences that 
they are writing to. And so our job is to use the literal historical grammatical method first to interpret right. the scripture. Right. As an Orthodox Jew, things. I think you would agree with that, no? Right, right. I would say two things. First of all, um, religious Jews across the spectrum believe that there's a written Torah and an oral Torah. Now, the oral Torah was forbidden. There's two things. The written Torah is forbidden to say it by heart, and the oral Torah is forbidden to write down. Now, it came to a point of Rebbe, the one that wrote, wrote the Mishnah, that it came to a point that people were forgetting the laws of the Bible, and as like an emergency um, thing, they said, okay, we're going to have to start writing it down. But the way we look at it is that the rabbis of the Mishnah were students, or their rabbis were students of the prophets. So I would say, if you have a debate how you should read a verse, either someone from the students of the author, or a different religion, just like you would, it wouldn't make sense for you to tell a Muslim how to read the Quran, right? Why does it? Why do you feel comfortable telling me how to read my book? Well. I would love to because take a there's crack at objective that. There's, proof. Yeah, I want to say there's objective proof, but I'm just going to go, you know, to where Chris is uncomfortable. But if Christians, the wide claim, maybe not from Chris, but, you know, the wide claim of Christianity is, you know, our ultimate authority is God and the claims of Jesus, you know, would indicate that God leads us and guides us and convicts us and leads us into truth. Which will actually, you know, which it doesn't matter if, you know, a Muslim has a text or an Orthodox Jew has a text or whatever the text would be. The idea is if God is leading us and we are focusing, you know, on being led by this Holy Spirit, then who better to know how to actually interpret someone than the God that knows each person better than they know themselves. So, again, what I'm saying, like this, this is like our Christian belief that traces back to God. So I would say, I mean, you know, there's no way to prove this. We're not going to win a debate medal, but it doesn't matter. So. Ultimately, I believe God is going to um, be the final arbiter. So even if someone wrote something, you're like, no, no, I'm the author. I wrote this. Uh, no one knows that better than me. I'm like, well, God knows you better than you know yourself. And if they're a theist that believes that, then they would say, oh, okay, you're right. There's no way right, to but that's that. But that's, that's a circular argument. Right. So default back to what Chris said. But I'm just saying, like, the overall, like, that's the perspective we're coming from. Right. But then for, for well, practical you, steps, what Chris said. Right. But, you're, but you, what you're doing is really a circular argument because we're, we're arguing where in the text that talks about someone from the first century or whatever being God, and we're asking why wouldn't you listen to the students of the prophet? And are you saying no? But I'm listening to God. That is the question: Is he the God? And that's coming out of the scriptures. So if I argue, so, with so you, again, we wouldn't we wouldn't say that. So what we would say is Jesus. Why was Jesus killed? Yeah, I'm listening. So the reason Yeshua was killed was because he was challenging the authority of the oral Torah. He was saying that the oral Torah is nonsense and that God wrote his word for you and you should ignore the oral Torah. So there's no interpretation that is the reason of the Jesus was killed. Is there no interpretation no. of the New Testament? There is one interpretation for every verse and that is authorial intent. And that is the way the prophets read the scripture, interpreted the scripture, and quoted the scripture. That is the way that all of the other biblical writers interpreted the scripture, was through authorial intent. What so you is don't the think... author attempting to say? Right, okay. 
And so is, I believe, the Jewish interpretations of the scriptures, what the author intend. And it was passed down from generation to generation. Like, I really right, believe... Right, but again, the authorial intent is found in the text itself, not in the oral Torah. The reason Jesus was killed is because he was challenging the authority of the rabbis and saying that the oral Torah should not be followed. Woman, well, did the Romans the kill him or the Jews kill him? Well, it was a conspiracy. The Romans pulled the trigger, but the Jews loaded the gun. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I, whatever. Okay, it's it's just. I know a lot of Christians believe different things. If he's the Son of God, if he's God Himself, if he's a partner with God, or just some say he's God Himself and came down to this world in the form of a human. But like, I find it interesting that even if God would come down as a human. Why would the part of sacrifice, right? If let's say, if let's say I die for a, like for a cause, and I feel no pain, I I am God. I'm just coming down as a form of a person. Like some of you believe, like the three people, one of them that came to Abraham was God, because it says that God was there and the angels, whatever. That's a different uh, debate. But why, like, why do you? If he's God, he's not feeling any pain. So what's the significance of a God showing as a human? Then I love God that question. That's a great yeah, question. I love, I, I, I love that question. So first of all, there's no reason to think that. Like, you know, Jesus uh, says in every way he was tempted yet did not sin. So, you know, there's no reason to think that just because he's God, like look at, uh, you know, it's like a, a common Muslim argument. I don't know if you want to share the stage with this. But, you know, the common Muslim argument is not so dissimilar. They're saying, like, well, how could Jesus be God? Because, you know, if he was killed, you know, you cannot kill a God. You cannot kill a God. And then they say a bunch of peace be upon you. But I agree with that. Like, in theory, you cannot kill a God. But that's not a problem because Jesus says no one takes my life. I lay it down. So the only way, you know, they'll also say God is powerful and no one can thwart the will of God, um, however they say that. But and I agree. So the only way someone could kill God is if this God let himself, you know, be murdered. So you can't if God says, no, I'm going to let myself be, be a sacrifice for my people and I'm going to let them kill me. Well, God is so powerful that he says, yeah, this is what I choose to do. No one can stop him. So anyways, there's no reason to think Jesus didn't feel pain like he he ate. You know, he used the restroom. He traveled. Um, there, he was a carpenter. You know, there's no reason, especially biblical or Torah speaking, um, that Jesus didn't feel pain. Like he experienced the full human conditions. Philippians 2, it talks about how, you know, he didn't consider taking advantage of equality with God. Instead, he chose to humble himself and he lowered himself to the position of a servant. So we have all this evidence indicating that, yes, he experienced humanity in every single way. And then the last thing you said, and then I'll shut up because I think Chris wanted to say something too, was when people make, and now I don't know if you want to share the stage with this, but the common atheist argument is, well, you know, if Jesus, what kind of sacrifice really was it? If he knew that he was just going to come right back magically and, you know, whatever, uh, you know, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to stay dead. What kind of sacrifice is that? Well, that's irrelevant. For Christianity, the only metric that needed to be met was Jesus was the sacrifice. So there's no reason to think he didn't feel pain. But if he didn't feel pain, that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. All that needed to happen was his blood shed for the forgiveness of many for their sins. Also, he needed to die one time. He just needed to die. It didn't matter if he came back a thousand years. It never mattered if he never came back. I mean, if he did, the world would probably implode. But it doesn't matter if he died and two seconds later, he's like, haha, just kidding. All that needed to happen was Jesus needed to die for our sins. Right, there so didn't need to be pain. Well, just to recap, there didn't need to be pain, and he didn't need to stay dead. 
Um, the fact that we believe he experienced pain and bore the weight of the sin of the world, um, by the way, is why Christians would say it's the most excruciating death. And then someone's like, there's more worse ways to go, torture for months than crucifixion. The point is we believe in the spiritual weight of pain. So yeah, that's that's the answer. Um, I, I don't want, I want you to respond, but I know Chris wanted to say something too, I think. Uh, Chris, did you want to say something? Can oh, I, we, can, oh, we can hear from the rabbi. Can I just make okay, go ahead. a quick point? Oh. That uh, yeah, um, we get the word excruciating from crucifixion. Ah, noted. Thank you. Uh, y yes. Yeah. So, well, I just forgot what I wanted to say, but let me just remember. Was it Jesus as Lord? Oh, uh, so so, you believe Jesus is God, correct? I, I, I uh -huh. guess. Yes. Right. Yes. So You're right. I, I just think that we believe in the same God. You just have a name, a different name for the God, and you have a story of a specific story of someone that lived whatever it was, 70, 80 years or something like that. And you're busy with that one-time uh, miracle that God did as coming down as a human in the first century. And I'm just talking about the God that existed for thousands of years. And you also agree that God existed for thousands of years, or not just for thousands of years, for infinitely, like backwards, negatively. But we believe, if you believe in God, and I believe in God, you just think that there was a story of a crucifixion, and I deny that. That doesn't mean that we don't believe in the same God. Like, why are Christians busy with one act of God, and not the everyday act of God, and not that he created heaven and earth? Can I answer that? Yeah. Can I answer that real quick? Because I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to get yeah, off sure. to, uh, to, to start my day at work. But that's a great question. Um, we are chiefly concerned with that particular act of God, because it is the single most important act that God has in our temporal reality to redeem us to himself, right? So that the, the entire message of the gospel from Genesis to Revelations, from the fall of Adam and Eve, our forefathers to the present, is God reconciling humanity to himself, for himself, for his glory. That's the start goal. That's the end goal. And Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection and ascension is the climax of that narrative. It's the climax of the narrative because that's the thing which actualizes his desire from when Adam and Eve fell. That's number one. Number two, it is necessarily a different God because by virtue of Jesus being God, Jesus is, God is tri-personal right? By virtue of Jesus being God and the Holy Ghost or the Ruach HaKodesh being God, God is tri-personal. That is a foundational, informative aspect of his ontology and his nature, his personhood that we disagree on, which means the God that you conceptualize is fundamentally and categorically distinct from the God Christians conceptualize, which is why we make such distinctions to say, no, we don't serve the same God because your God never entered creation. And ours did. And our God who entered creation, the God that entered creation or the person of God that we that entered creation is distinct from the persons of God or the person of God, the father that right. never entered creation. There's one thing, uh, just to correct one thing. Um, Christians believe that one of the angels that came to visit Abraham right after he did circumcision was God. So God did come in around 2,000 years prior. That's a conflation. That's a conflation. When I say God entered creation, I mean embodied a created vessel, a created thing. Like so Jesus, 
right, incarnation, found in fashion as a man. He was made in the likeness of man. He may have appeared man-like, humanoid-like in Genesis 15, or I think, or no, it's not Genesis 15. Genesis it might be earlier 18 than that. through 19. Genesis 18. Thank you. Thank you. Genesis 18 through 19. But that is not him entering creation as in stepping inside flesh. So again, that, that will be a conflation to the point our God literally entered as a human this world. So one second. So and Jews, Jews believe that every, every year on Yom Kippur, God forgives the sin if you repent, right? We're not busy with God as Yom Kippur. We're not, we don't look at God as one day of the year. So why are you looking at God at over, how long did Jesus live? How old is he when he died? That would be an irrelevant question. That's, <clears throat> that's irrelevant to the point. That would be sort of a digression into irrelevancies, which is, an, which is a logical fallacy. Let's not do that. Let's stay on the target. The target is uh, basically asked and answered. If you think about it like a courtroom, it is the single most important. And for that matter, you, you're saying that you, you deal with God, whatever, but there is a whole atonement thing. There's a day of atonement. There's a whole chapter in Leviticus which talks about the atonement. It's pretty important. It's pretty singled out. You know, even as far as what to do if you're in exile, if you're not in the country and the Day of Atonement comes around, how in the world do you atone for your... There, there's a pretty good amount of significance given to that singular Day of Atonement. And sure, you're dealing with God, but Christians also deal with God in our daily lives. It's called spiritual formation. It's called sanctification. You know, uh, it's, you know, in our church functions, in our faculties and facilities, you can look at Acts on and see how... Christians deal with God every day of their lives, right? So I think that is a hasty generalization fallacy, and I think that is a false equivocation. Um, and to the point, the reason that we see the resurrection as important is because it is the climax of this gospel narrative of Christ reconciling man to himself. And how do you look at Messiah being God? We always understood, you could say it's rabbinical, but like, so, like always the conception was that there's God and then the Messiah being, brings people closer to God. How does it work in nice. Christianity when Messiah is God? Well, it, it's, it's a, yeah, go ahead, Tippy. Yeah, one second, Tippy. I got to go. What it's been a great conversation, that, guys. I got to go. I take care of Marquis. But what I was going to say is that that's a, that's a fallacy as well. If you, if you actually do go look at the Mishnah, you will see that prior to uh, the second century that there was a conception of the Messiah being God in rabbinical teaching. Yeah, Tippy, go ahead. Yeah, it's not, it's not just in rabbinical teachings. Uh, Jeremiah 23 verses five through six tells you that the, uh, the branch of, of um, Jesse or the, the, or, or the, I'm sorry, the branch of David, the Sama, um, who is the Messiah is going to be called, um, uh, and I'll be polite because you're Jewish, um, Hashem himself. Again, that's Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6. So we know from the Old Testament that this is how the Messiah is going to come. Right. That, that, that's your interpretation of the Old Testament. We have different interpretations. That was that, that, um, that's not my interpretation. This is literally what it says. It says that, that the Samah the Sama is going to be called uh, um Hashem. Elohim? 
No, Hashem, like the, the, the no, name. No word Hashem in the Old Testament. The, the literal. I'm 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 trying to be polite because if I say if I say Jehovah or Yahweh, I don't want to insult. You know, I don't want to step on any toes. So, um, right. So now there's other, um, is the words Yud. You know the um, Hebrew alphabet. Uh, no, I I don't, but I know how to recognize the the name. No, I understand, but this 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 two words that means when um, Jacob was talking to Lavan or his brother when they were in a fight, he said a word that if you pronounce it a little different, one way it means God, and one may one way it means my master. Sure, but um, if if you want to take a look at the Hebrew, I mean, it, it's fine by me. It literally says Yotevavhe, so, um, and that's who the Sama, what the Sama is going to be called. Okay, I would have to look that up. Yeah, Jeremiah. Okay. I'll tell you again, Jeremiah twenty five, twenty three, verses five through six. All right, but it's interesting if it would be so specific, if it would be so um, clear in Jeremiah, um, the rabbis would sound foolish when they say that he's not God. Well, the, well, the rabbis. Well, hold we on. would say. I mean, we didn't. We didn't say it. Hold on. You have to I'm understand <clears throat> the first Christians were Jewish, right? And then after Christianity, this is when you start getting um, that the Midrash is, is written down, right? So this is actually a response to um, Jewish people becoming Christians. Now you have the the uh, you have the Jewish interpretations of you know what certain verses mean to avoid that Jesus is the Messiah that you're waiting for. Right, Tippy. I just want to say one thing: the Jews, if you know about Orthodox Jews, which until the 17th century, just a few hundred years ago, um, it wasn't like today where 90% of Jews are agnostic or atheist. It was um, most of the Jews were religious. And you know that if it would say specific, if it would say open in the Bible and, and Jews would recognize that, that Jesus is God or Messiah is God, Yitkevavke, um, then Jews would drop the synagogue and run to church. Jews don't have an agenda to be Jewish, Jews have an agenda to try to be what God wants from us. And that's what I have a problem with all the Isaiahs and the Jeremiahs and all that. If it would be so in the book, right? If the book says rabbis are stupid, rabbis are lying, rabbis are misinterpreting things, then people wouldn't listen to the rabbis. People don't worship rabbis. People listen to the rabbis as they interpretate the text. If it's the way you're saying, I have to look it up, but if it's the way you're saying, then Jews would run to 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 either a Catholic church or a Protestant. Any well, that, type of, that's what we're here for as Christians. I understand. I understand. Yeah. But you and I know that if the text would be so simple, and that's the only way to interpret the text, then Jews would believe that Messiah is not the way we believe that it's a human. People would believe, like, we don't have an agenda with the Talmud or the Mishnah. These are just helps well, of... you don't. But you well, don't think Maimonides did? Like... Well, Maimonides, Maimonides made specific changes to the Hebrew text in order to make sure that he had answers for Christians. Okay? It's actually this is Maimonides, in his writings. I understand. It's actually Maimonides that said two things. First of all, he said that um, he gives thanks to Christianity. I think he writes this in the letter to the Yemenite Jews that he thanks Christianity that they brought God into this world in the sense of um, people were believing in paganism and all that, and Christians came and brought, you know, the argument of God 
to the rest of the world. And he was very thankful for that. That's number one. Number two, there's some Christians that believe Jesus was a son of God and I guess more like a partner with God. Some of them believe that way, I believe. Is that true? So That's a very small sect that we would... Well, yeah. we would say that those people aren't Christians. One of the things yeah. about Christianity is you well, have to believe that Jesus... For the integrity of this discussion, though, like there was a point you said, and I think it's good advice because otherwise we're spinning our wheels. You kept saying, until I look that up, I mean, it's one Bible verse. Um, so, I mean, why don't we take a breather from this. And I mean, if you have five minutes, I guess you can look that up, but oh, okay. I don't, I don't see, I mean, I'm, I don't see a, oh, okay. No, well, no, I mean, no, no, no. Well, I, well, you, well, yeah, okay, hang on. I, I was just going to say, I mean, I don't want to shut the conversation down, but I mean, until you, you actually look that up, like, you know, we're just talking in the abstract, like, you know, look that up and then let's continue. I didn't look yeah. it up right away is because I had this many times where people tell me, look in Isaiah 53. And I looked, and I just saw my rabbis interpreting something else. So I'm just, I'm just doubtful that this is so, going to change my mind, but could be a woe. Yeah, so can I just ask you a question? Yeah. Um, are, are the rabbis infallible? Are the rabbis what? Infallible. Can they make a mistake? It's a big debate within Orthodox Jews if rabbis can make Like which rabbis? Like Maimonides? Any rabbi. I'm asking if you take their authority over God. Of course not. Okay. So, because from my understanding, um, Jewish people, when you go to, <clears throat> excuse me, when you go to yeshiva, right, you read not only the the Torah um, and the, the prophets, but you also read alongside of it um, Targum, and you also read rabbinical interpretation. But do you read the, the text as it just says? Because this is how Christians... Right. So, Tippi, uh, if you're very familiar with the with the Old Testament, the Book of Prophets, there are many. I can't think of something right now, but there are many, many texts and verses that that cannot be understood literally. Like sometimes, like, I'm not saying all the time, sure. but I'm saying there is a need by definition. Jews believe that at Mount Sinai we got the Torah, right? Moses wrote down the Torah, and we witnessed God talking, and it was giving an oral law. Like if you look at the Sabbath, right? When Jews don't drive a car on the Sabbath, or don't turn on a light, or don't light a fire, that's not specifically understood in the in the in the literal. Just for another word, like a naked, like just the actual verse, is not is not like you don't have half the laws that Jews have in the Sabbath. Right. You don't you don't have half the laws of the laws of the temple, like all the laws of how they brought sacrifices. Yeah. Is only based on interpretation. That is not the actual right. and that's verse. Why so I'm just saying the Jesus. verse is begging for interpretation. No, so you not. have your and interpretation. That's, that's, but that's why we say that the oral Torah is not valid. It is because Jesus, who was the ultimate rabbi, rejected the oral Torah and said, you don't need it, throw it in the trash. That is why they killed Jesus. Um, I just wanted to, to say that uh, we don't see um, that Moses has the oral Torah. Um, there, there, is a, there is a place in the, um, where the, the women come up to, and I, I don't know the verse, I'll have to look it up. Uh, women come up to Moses. They, it's women, they don't have a, a father or a brother. And they're asking him about um, 
about inheriting the land, because that's not one of the laws, right? That's That was not given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Does Moses go and say there, uh, oh, hold on, let me just, uh, let me give you oral Torah. No, he doesn't. What he does is he goes and he talks to God about this specific condition. And then God says, no, that, that they can inherit the land. So there's no um, rabbinical interpretation on that. That's Moses literally has to go and okay. to speak with God. On, on this specific condition. Tippi, um, how, how did Jews, before Christianity, how did Jews knew, how, know, where did they know from that um, Mount Sinai ever happened? How do they know that? It would have been from the five books of Moses. Yeah, but how do they know that it happened? Maybe someone wrote it. Well, it's not about knowledge, it's about trust. Right. So the trust, the Talmud says that one of the main ways we know um, Mount Sinai happened is that it was passed down from father to son, and a father doesn't lie to his son. Um, and it's passed down from generation to generation. On the same token, we believe that what went on there that was passed from generation to generation is that there was the, the, the actual text, the Torah, and then there was interpretation, the laws of explaining, just like there's the Constitution, and then there's many scholars that explain the Constitution, Right? Um, so we believe, for this, with the same way we know that Mount Sinai happened, we believe that there was an oral Torah at Mount Sinai, and you can't show me anywhere in the text that says there is not an oral Torah. But you but can't, can't show me, show me where, anywhere where, in the text where it says there's an oral yeah. Torah. And, and no, actually, no, no, that's, no, no, that's, no. that was my point, was that, tradition, that tradition. I, I know it's your tradition tradition but what i'm saying is even the tradition like where is that coming from because we don't see that actually happening in the torah itself in fact we see quite the opposite where most this condition where the women can't inherit the land and what does he do he doesn't say let me give you my own uh tafsir okay he doesn't he goes and he asks god about because everything is from god of course moses can't make up the oral torah we don't believe the rabbi right. but this right. is i'm not talking about i'm not i'm telling what his interpretation he's not giving his own interpretation he literally has to go and speak with god right. about this specific condition right that, we believe the interpretation with. comes from god we don't believe it was made up by the rabbi so i was asking if you find, if you think that the rabbis do you believe that they're inspired by god are they infallible can they make mistakes? Well, for, I, I, they, very likely they can make mistakes. Okay. Sure. And, and, and that's the, the point here is that, look, when we're trying to deal with divine revelation, okay, so we would believe that the Torah and the Tanakh are divine revelation. Is divine revelation so opaque and so badly and poorly written because God somehow is incapable of communicating with humanity outside of an oral tradition that tells you what the stuff means, as opposed to reading it plainly for yourself. Is God that inept and bad at communication that he needs? What, how many volumes is the, is the, the Talmud up to? Like 37 volumes? Something like right. that? Um, something like, like that. The, it's number, yeah, something like it's that. number 26, really? by the way. If, if I'm not mistaken, it's number 26 where we find this happening, where, where God actually changes um, the, the Torah to fit this condition. Well, he's not changing the Torah to fit the no, condition. No, no, no. He's, no. he's basically revealing more. There's something called progressive revelation. Right. So that's, God continues that's to progress. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So God continues to progress.
progressively revealed. God reveals things through the prophets. Why, why did God send Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, um, you know, and Malachi and the rest? It's because people were so far off track from following whatever the interpretation was instead of the actual text. I mean, you had Josiah, I believe it was Josiah, that had to rediscover the text of the Torah. Well, and did Jesus keep the Sabbath before? Chris, did Jesus keep the Sabbath at any point? Jesus did keep the Sabbath, but he kept the Sabbath according to the Torah, and he rejected the rabbinical interpretations. This is did why he, put on he was killed. Did he put on tefillin? That is unclear. We don't know. Yeah, Jesus okay. says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. So um, he, he's not going to, uh, you know, he's not. If I, if I would prove to you that Jesus did some um, laws, that means there's very little is written in the Old Testament about how you keep the Sabbath. It says don't light a fire, listen to our ish. It says like like two three things about the Sabbath, and if right. I if we find out if we find out that that Jesus kept the Sabbath the way people in his times kept the Sabbath, that would mean that Jesus listens to the rabbinical law. Right. No, that was the entire. You got to read the New Testament. The entire New Testament is about G the Pharisees coming to Jesus and saying, "You are breaking the rabbinical law," and Jesus coming back to them and saying, "You are full of nonsense." These laws are not God's laws. The oral Torah is trash. Throw it in the garbage. That is the entire point of the New Testament, is to destroy the oral Torah. Because the I oral understand, Torah leads Jesus people is, away from God. I'm just saying if at any point he kept certain laws of the Sabbath, that would mean he did keep that the he kept the actual what did he keep? What did he, he kept the actual laws of the Sabbath where he didn't work, but you just go read the, the Gospels. I mean, you can read the four Gospels. And yeah, but it doesn't hours. say in the Bible that you can't work. Like, what type of work can you do and what could you do? You could, um, you could, you could um, take a suitcase from the bottom step. Right. So, so here's, one, here's one of the things that Jesus did is that he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Okay. So, well, you're he allowed went to go on the, the Sabbath. Sorry, what? If, if, what, like a, like a, someone that was really sick or like someone that he gave stitches to? No, no, no. Why are we being so pedantic oh my about this? Wow. Hold on, so, hold on. So, so Jesus, he's never read the New Testament. It's fine. I, so I was going to ask. Okay. Rolled up, yeah, so, so Jesus rolled up in John chapter 5 to the temple. And there was a place in the temple where there were uh, waters, Bethsaida, right? And people had a superstition there that when the angel would stir the waters, that they are the first one to get into the water, they would be healed. And so there's all these lame and blind people and people with withered limbs and all these things. Jesus rolls up to a guy who had been lame since birth, i.e. had withered legs. Okay. Like, you know what I mean by withered? Like they're not all the way there. And he looks at the guy on the Sabbath in full view of the Pharisees and says, you are healed. Take up your mat and walk. And the Pharisees, when this guy's legs are regrown in front of their face, the next thing they say is, who told you to take up your mat and walk on the Sabbath? You're breaking the Sabbath. Yeah, but Chris, Chris um, there are many. My father is a paramedic and he runs on calls on the Sabbath, he, uh, if he has to light a cigarette to heal someone, he'll do that. He'll drive a car. He'll look like someone that's desecrating the Sabbath. Because in the Bible, it says that 
the laws of the Torah is to live, not to die yeah, for. The but only that's a later that interpretation, man. Here's the thing. Here's the thing is that the Pharisees condemned Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, not once, but six times. And so he I don't is know literally miraculously. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Doctors are a lot of Jewish doctors. I'm not some doctors. Okay. What I am talking okay, about. Okay, wait, wait, hang on. So, so, hang on, this is killing me. The bigger issue why are you arguing with Christians about this? If we're parroting the Bible, what the Jews did, your problem is not with Christianity. Your problem is with other Jews that say you can't do this on the Sabbath. So, I mean, I, I, I wish I could speak for all Judaism who take this position, but your problem is not with us. Your problem is with Jews who say you can't do that. Well, you're a lot of hell on the Sabbath. That's all I'm saying. Well, but but what these I'm people didn't is, think so. Two thousand years ago, the teachers of the law, the rabbis that were in charge of Israel in the land, said that you cannot do X, Y, Z. They were walking. Jesus was walking along in a field of of wheat, and there his disciples were picking the stalks on the Sabbath and eating them as they were walking along. And the Pharisees came along and was like, "What are you doing? You're harvesting on the Sabbath." I mean, okay, that's something this, else. I was just talking about the right. healing. Yeah. yeah, so so again, Jesus immediately said to them, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus claims to be God and says, I am the one who gave you these laws. You are wrong. They are not breaking the Sabbath. Um, Chris, that if I, if I would tell if I, if I would show you in the Old Testament where it says that the laws of the Bible can never be altered, that means if it says you cannot light a fire on Sabbath, that can never change. And then 2,000 years later, someone comes with maybe God that you believe, and he says, He I didn't change the law. He, he said fulfilled he it. the I interpretation understand. of the law. No, no, no. He didn't change. You're, you're not getting me. He didn't change the Sabbath, the Sabbath law. What he said was, you have a wrong interpretation because gleaning was always protected. Gleaning was always protected, even on the Sabbath. Do I have to keep they the Sabbath? They were gleaning. Chris, do I, as a Jew, have to keep the Sabbath? Not if you put your faith yes. in Christ. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you My can, question you can... is, if in the Bible it says, don't light a fire, don't light, let's say I smoke, I stop smoking every Sabbath for 36 hours. Let's say it says, don't smoke. And then someone comes and says, I will say... You can smoke because I fulfilled the Sabbath for you. I fulfill all the... That's not what Jesus did. That's so not what, what did Jesus he do? did. Jesus was railing against the incorrect interpretation of the oral Torah. Okay, so now your whole point, what you said earlier around 20 minutes ago, that you have to look at the actual text. Now you're doing right. what the, you claim the rabbis are doing. You're taking our actual text what? and spinning it around. Because in the Bible it says you can What are you talking about? It says that you cannot light a fire on Sabbath. Now, if I accept Jesus, okay, so, so what I could the, light a fire. So show me, show me the Torah where it says where what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. What what verse? Deuteronomy, uh, Numbers, Leviticus. I'll tell you the text. I don't know where it says it, but it says yeah, least, the text. You cannot light a fire in your houses. Just I, I, I read the Hebrew, so it's hard for me. Like I'm not that educated and it's hard for me to interpret every every single verse but like it says clearly do not light a fire on sabbath and now you're telling me if i accept jesus i could so you're telling me that essentially the torah that's was not changed. what i just said that's not what i said what i said was jesus gleaning wheat in the field and gleaning was always a protected thing 
in the Torah. Yeah, that's rabbinical. That is a rabbinical interpretation. Right. But I'm, I'm talking about the actual, what it does say in the actual text, what you can do on the Sabbath, from straight from Mount Sinai, what you don't believe in the in the oral, but the, the, the written Torah. It's in the five uh, books of in, Moses. I'm going to help you out here. It's in Exodus. Uh, Uh, I'm just, Tippy, I'm you cut out there for a second. Oh, um, Exodus uh, 35, verse 3, it says that you cannot kindle a fire on the Sabbath. Tippy, and now Chris is telling me that I could. So does the Torah be yep. changed? No, the Torah hasn't no, been changed at all. I'm not telling you you can. Like, oh my gosh. I, I gave you a specific thing that Jesus did and said, and then you changed that into fire somehow. Look, 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 let's read. No, you told me that I don't have to keep the Sabbath if I accept Jesus. Has this ran its course yet? Like, I don't, we're going absolutely nowhere. Like, Siggy, I would say the first thing you you should do based on this conversation. Let's read the New Testament. Well, that's the second thing I was going to say. But so we don't spin our wheels would be, you know, look up the thing um, in Jeremiah, I think, that uh, Tippy was talking about that you needed time to look up. What did you say, 23, 24? What did you say, Tippy, Jeremiah? Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6. I would recommend this, reading the whole thing, but five and six, it will tell you that the Sama is um, Jehovah himself. And then yeah, the second Yahweh. thing would absolutely be the New Testament. Like if you've read the Torah, you can knock the New Testament out in like Chris said, probably two hours. Um, so it's it's not not difficult. I think that would be super beneficial because otherwise we're trying to like explain the okay, whole New Testament. But I want to continue this conversation, but, uh, you know, like just read up on that. And I mean, we're here like every day. So, like, oh, come back, and I would love to so continue I'll, this. I'll follow you guys. And, uh... Yeah, that'd be great. No, listen, listen, brother. I Like, I want to have these conversations with you, and everyone will tell you that, you know, I also am the guy. And, and if you talk to – do you know Rabbi Uri? I don't know Rabbi uh, Uri, but – no. Okay. Well, he, he also goes the, by uh, – The rabbi yeah, he goes lawyer, by uh, – No, 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 Jason? guy. No, I'm talking. No, this guy's name is literally Uri. Um, he uh, he's one of the rabbis. He's a conservative rabbi. He's not orthodox, um, but he's a friend of mine, and he will be the first to tell I you. I look that at a conservative one... Jew as Jewish as you look as a Mormon. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I get okay, it. Okay, don't understand. talk to Uri. I, yeah, well, I mean, but no, no, no. But what I'm saying is that that I am the first to say that Christians have a long history of persecution of the Jews, and that. Christian, the, the, the Catholic Church and the Christian Church at, at large um, has a lot of reckoning to do um, with the anti-Judaism and the anti yeah, it's like, it's like me going the roots into of the church. It's like me going into Germany and mowing down everybody there because some of their grandparents were SS uh, in uniform. Like, just because yeah. something happened 2,000 years ago, you don't kill Jews for the next 2,000 years. That's not how it works. Of course. Of course, of course, and 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 look, the 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 early church fathers they were anti-Judaic, anti-Semitic. We get a lot of the roots of that in Christianity, and we have a lot of history to answer for. And and I get that, and I am one hundred percent on on that train. Okay, um, at the same time, uh, there are if you read the New Testament, I think that what you'll find is that Jesus is constantly dueling with the rabbis of his day. And that is why, and when we say that, you know, why was Jesus killed? Because he rejected the oral Torah. 
what we what Jesus was really killed for was all of our sins. So I put Jesus on the cross just as much as you know the high priest Caiaphas in the first century put Jesus on the cross. I am just as guilty as anyone else. Okay, and so the the thing about it is that. What I would say is read the book of Matthew. It's written for Jews. Okay, so the book of Matthew is literally written to a Jewish audience. Um, And so I would say if you're going to read a gospel, you can get through the book of Matthew in about 30 minutes. Um, I think that you should start with the book of Matthew. um, And that will that is written specifically to your people. Okay, I hear that. I I just find it interesting that you would, you would probably like look at me a little stupid if I'm going to go into uh, Luke and start reading a verse and interpreting the way I interpret it, like the way my interpretation is like, why do, why do Christians feel very comfortable? Like they won't go into the Quran and tell Muslims how to read the Quran, but they'll go into the book of prophets and the five books of Moses and, they're, and they'll tell me exactly that the way I understood it is not the way I should understand it. I should listen to a different religion. I understand that the early Christians were Jews and they interpreted it that way. But my point is, why do you feel comfortable, respectively, I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything yeah, yeah, yeah. with them. Sure, I'm just trying to them. why do you feel comfortable you. going to my book? Can I, um, right, can I respond about the Quran yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because well, I, I, mean, I actually deal with it. Because I think that's, yeah. yeah, I know that's going off the, <laughs> the, the trail. But, but like the, here's the thing, is that we love the Jewish people as Christians, and we want to see them worship Messiah alongside of us because we have a burden for the people of God. We worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob just as you do. We are simply um, given further revelation, and we have been shown the Messiah. And that's we what want I said. I have the same ago, for we you. Believe in the same yeah. God. That's what I said earlier. Well, and, okay. And again, well, hang on. I, I, like, I, I don't want to shut this down, but I'm definitely moving on. There's a couple things I want to say. Right, but so I would uh, say the I'm reason. Well, well, I'll just listen. Uh, well, well, Siggy. I mean, the reason we feel comfortable is because we read the New Testament, and we believe it goes hand in glove with the Old Testament, the Torah. So, I mean, that, that's one reason why, because the Quran came, you know, centuries later and has nothing to do with this stuff at all. Um, you know, their claim is the same God. You can claim whatever you want. Um, but, you know, you read the descriptors, and it's very different. So Judaism, uh, at least in that sense, we believe it's uh, it, the New Testament is a direct progression just, you know, consecutively because time and history came later. So the New Testament, I mean, you could basically say it's all the same scripture. It just happened to come later. So it's, it's divided up into Old and New Covenant. Um, so that that's one reason why Christians feel more comfortable uh, talking about, you know, to Jewish people saying, well, no, you need to read it this way, because we believe we we basically have. The, I, I don't know if it's disrespectful to say the, the whole Torah, if you want to look at it that way. But for this, this that's the reason we believe we have the full revelation, the full completed scripture um, where the Quran is just, you know, some other thing that came way later that has nothing to do with this stuff. Um, so that would be a reason. But I wanted to say two things. Um, one, Bob and Baptized are both here. Um, part of me would like to bring them on stage, but part of me also doesn't want to do that to the people, but I would love it if they would talk to each other and figure out who is closer to being a true Christian. Um, you know, Bob is one of the rare examples that is like, I think Unitarian or doesn't believe Jesus is God and baptized believes you need to cry literal tears for salvation. 
So I would love to hear them talk or maybe see it in chat and see how that goes. The second thing is, Tippy, I don't, I've seen you before. I don't know if we've really met, but uh, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Hi. So have we um, met before? Am I just bad at remembering? I, I, I don't know. Let me see if I follow you or not. Uh, it says you follow me. Um, so you have obviously come in contact with me. Okay. I deal with, I deal I think with, I, so I'm, I'm actually, uh, uh, you know, the, the shake here when it comes to Islam. Um, I don't tell what Muslims, what to, um, what to believe about their own books. What I do is I go to their, uh, to their scholars. Um, but there's a reason for that. In, in Islam, you, you, there's, you cannot interpret the Quran without the scholars, period, because otherwise the Quran will not make sense. Like there's a, there's a, you, you find things about Zaid. Uh, you have no idea who Zaid is. You, you will read something about Abu Lahab. You have no idea who Abu Lahab is. Uh, you have to go to the Tafsir. You have to go to the Sunnah for, for these things. So, um, so it's not it's it's not the same as within the 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 Torah, the Book of the Prophets, because you can literally read what God's telling you. Um, you don't need interpretation for that. Whereas in Islam, you you absolutely do. Um, and I, if I could just make one more comment, and then you can move forward. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, um, so when we're reading about the Sabbath, um, I think it's it's good to understand that when the, when something is brought up for the very first time, that this is the standard uh, in Judaism, right? So when we read about the Sabbath, um, it's it's literally God's Sabbath. God's Sabbath is the original Sabbath, which is found in Genesis two verses one. You have evening and morning, which is day one, and and then day two. But when we get to enter the Sabbath um, on on the seventh day, um, there is no there is no end to it. That's just a beginning. So it doesn't it doesn't end um, until the until the end of God's age. So we're literally under God's Sabbath. So when Jesus comes, he brings you into God's Sabbath, not Israel's Sabbath, which is which was the weekly Sabbath. Um, and God's Sabbath is today. So this is why um, we read in Hebrews four verses one through eleven that we must enter His rest, meaning the the rest of Christ. And, and with that, I'll, I'll yield. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, Tippy. I think I, I think I heard you. It was maybe talking about something about Islam. I think that's probably why I followed you. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know that we've had a chance to speak though. So yeah, nice to meet you. Tippy, Tippy, can I ask you a quick question? And it's really for everybody, but I, I want sure. to ask you in particular. Um, basically, before Jesus came around, especially right after, um, before, um, whatever, before the story of Jesus, um, the way Jews repented was number one, they had to repent and stop doing the bad sin. They had to regret on the past and they had to accept to do not to do it again in the future and they also the, had sacrifices right right right. that's what i was about to say and then they brought sacrifices right but so you, you had but if you brought a sacrifice and you did not repent your sacrifice was like chris says thrown in the trash of course we have repentance in christianity too it actually right. says it too. So my, my point is yeah. not understanding one thing especially in the if you're if you believe jesus is actually god i'm very confused because Christians will tell me that the only way to repent is to accept Jesus saying all my Isaac repented or Jacob sacrificed was actually God repenting. Now if Jesus is God and that's the only way to repent um, you're, you're breaking up a little bit but let me just explain what that's repentance that's is. Oh, okay. Uh, 
He's breaking up. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, Siggy, I'm going to say this as a sign from God at this point because, yeah, you are chopping up. I heard what you said, though. You, you were saying that Christians only can uh, Christians say only Christians can repent. What I, I think Tippy was about to say, repent just means do a 180. It means go the other way. It means you know, resolve to, to change your mind. That's what repentance means. So like an atheist could, quote, repent. They could recognize something they were doing was bad, and they could repent of something. But as far as the spiritual implications, no, Jesus says repent and believe the gospel. So for Christianity, you, you know, the technicality of the word, yeah, anyone can change their mind and do a 180 and do something different and, and regret something and, and repent and go the other way. Um, but as far as the spiritual context, yes, to, in order to be made right with God, you need you need to repent, you need to change your mind, you need to resolve to do different, but you ask, you need forgiveness from this God. So that would be why, like, in, in a non-spiritual sense, sure, anyone can repent, but it doesn't matter um, other than, than just naturally doing something different. But I'm, I'm adamant, I want to move on. Um, Bob, I, I don't want to, um, uh, I, I wanted Baptize, who he rejected the invite for once. Um, Baptize, if that was an accident, let me know, I'll reinvite you. Um, I, I only wanted Bob and Baptize to talk if they could. But son, first, um, you were up here and I really want to get to you. We've had a few people leave because uh, we're taking our sweet time. So I wanted to see if you have anything to say, son. What's up, son? Uh-oh, uh, if you're speaking, we don't hear you. Sometimes uh, if you leave and come right back, Uh, son, if you can hear us, if you leave and come right back, that usually fixes the problem. But if you're trying to speak, we don't uh, hear you. Oh, Baptize is coming. So, son, I would like to hear what you have to say, but if you um, aren't able to hear us or whatever, unplug your mic or disconnect and reconnect. Uh, welcome, Sam and Sean. Um Okay, and this is where we reach the end of our <laughs> normal discussion. So uh, click on the episode immediately preceding this one, and this is going to be a masterclass on all the things to not do and not say and not believe as a true disciple of Christ. Um, and then you may be saying, well, how do you know Christians can't agree on what they believe and blah, blah, blah. Like, we're not exactly talking about free will versus determinism here. We're not exactly talking about, uh, you know, Baptist versus Pentecostals here. Um, you'll see. So um, <laughs> stay tuned. Stay tuned. No, don't stay tuned. Click on the next episode.